Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Smug. Confident. Secure because you are sane. Do you know what madness is or how it strikes? Have you seen the demon? The surge through the corridors of the crazed mind? Come with me. Into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. Okie folks, I'm Frank Bonacci, and I'm the scum of the earth. Please direct your attention to this. I'm the Fambo Uzbek. Can I help you folks? If you want to place some stolen sushi on the table, I'll look away. Oh, that won't be necessary. It's okay. We prefer it that way. No embarrassment, no finger pointing. No, I mean, we don't have it. What do you got? Eel? Yellowtail? You don't understand. That's all right. I don't want to know. We want to ask. Salmon, tuna, sea urchin. Honest, I won't look. Mr. Uzbek, what's wrong with him? Really, none of my business. Halibut, mackerel, flying fish eggs. I love Mr. Osback, Nathanbo, we just want to know if you know anything about this. Phenonymous Gloy. Is that the name of your organization? Oh, no. We're Phenonymous Goy with an eye like in Finn. But I do recognize something about this paper. It's a rare type of yak paper used to manufacture certain table straws, like those made by Crypodrome Industries. Yes, that was me as Nathanbo Uzbek in a clip from the audiobook adventures of Big Damn Freighter, Volume 2. Don't worry, we'll get to that. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. So it's 2004 and the big box store is still king. I'm in Best Buy doing my weekly rounds in the DVD section. I've talked about how I'm cursed with a collector's mentality before on this show. During this period, it was DVDs. It wouldn't be uncommon for me to walk out with six to eight DVDs at a clip. To be honest, I wouldn't even watch half of them. And really, the point isn't to watch them, but more to stave off the darkness. On this day, I happened upon a new release with enticing box art. It had skulls, monsters, 50s-style rocket ships, jackpot. This was during a time when I would still blind buy stuff. So I picked it up. Now, forget it. For me to watch anything now, I need at least three positive recommendations by people I actually respect, two letters of referral, proof of residency, the works. Because God forbid I ever get bored. That brings the darkness. This wasn't totally a blind buy. I wound up remembering that I read a capsule review of it a few months prior, uh, and it actually wasn't positive. Sidebar, I hope wherever that person who wrote that review is now, they're dead. The film is called Lost Skeleton Cadavra, and to say I enjoyed it, to call it an understatement, is in itself an understatement. This brilliant send-up of 50s Poverty Row science fiction films chemically fused with me. It, I'm going to move on because I could go on all day how much I love this movie. Oh, it's in my top 10, and it's not easy to get in my top 10. Howard the Duck is in there, so, you know. 11 years later, in 2016, I'm making my first feature, the Comic-Con set comedy Welcome to the Future. I don't usually show my own stuff here, but... Check it out. It's literally for free on YouTube. Come on, I worked hard on it. Damn you people and your indifference. You know what indifference invites? The darkness. I'm thinking about one of the main characters' wardrobe. The director of Lost Skeleton has a merch store. I want to have the character wear a shirt that the director designed. In all honesty, 
I want him to wear the shirt so I can ask the director if he could wear the shirt. If he says yes, I have an excuse to show him the film. I'm so conniving. It's amazing I'm still poor. I write him. He writes back and says, sure thing. It's a story for another time, but it's a tough one making the movie. And the year that follows is no picnic either, but it gets done. So with the first two parts of my Machiavellian plan out of the way, all that's left is to offer the director a link to, and at this point, very early cut of the film. Again, he hits me with the sure thing. As insecure as I am about most things, somehow the thought, what if he hates it? Hasn't come up yet. But boy, oh boy, does it ever make an entrance now. I am freaking the fuck. The darkness, the darkness has arrived. He gets back to me after what seems like an eternity. And then find out next week on Dragon Ball Z. No, I'm just kidding. He loved it. Not only does he love it, but he gives me his phone number so he could use his vocal cords to express as such. Listen, I imagine it's great to have a ton of people watch and respond positively to your movie. I wouldn't know. Would you watch the fucking movie already? It's free. But I can't imagine it could be better than having a hero of yours watch it. And finally, with that, I am so proud to welcome on the Scum of the Earth podcast, the creator of Lost Skeleton Cadaver, as well as the sequel, The Lost Skeleton Returns Again, Trail the Screaming Forehead, Dark and Stormy Night, which are all available for purchase at hydraulic-entertainment.com, link in the description. Actor, writer, director, painter, author, illustrator, a fucking show off if we're being kind of honest here. Mr. Larry Blamar, thank you so much for coming on. Hey Frank, Thanks. that was a marathon. That one. That was wow. I was, I was, I was, uh, I was impressed. I was impressed by that. And, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Can I say that I'm a I'm a scum of the earth because I'm on this? You, I really you're like more that. than welcome to. All right. It's usually reserved for the host, but you're welcome to that title. I want to be like a special guest scum. <laughs> the scumettes. You know what the title's from? It's from a. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis film that I'm a fan of. You ever see that one? Yeah, no, no, I haven't seen that one. It's one of his roughies from the 60s roughie period. Oh, okay. I don't really know your origin story. So how do you get into the arts? I was drawing when I was a kid. I, I spent half my time drawing, the other half playing baseball. So it was kind of like- You're from Boston, right? Went to, yeah, I grew up in different parts of New England. We moved around a lot in Massachusetts and went to the Art Institute of Boston. I majored in uh, illustration. It so impressed me that as soon as I got out of school, I went into blue collar. So <laughs> I, you know, I'm from a blue collar family, so it just seemed natural. I just, I kind of just, it became so much work that it wasn't fun anymore in school. And I kind of lost interest in it, lost the spark kind of. And I just took blue collar jobs, you know, and I kind of did that for years. Then I started doing some science fiction illustration. But, and I started working in theater. A roommate of mine was an actor and I, I went along one day and I'm like, well, you know, this looks fun. And plus chicks. Yeah. Uh, I went to the audition and, and said, I can do this. I called up the director and he gave me a special audition. I got the part. And so I started working in theater. That led to my writing plays and directing plays. I started acting, doing on-camera stuff, some commercials and industrial films, you know, got my SAG card, moved to... Um, Beverly <laughs> Hills, that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved to LA and moved with a an internet company. Basically, it was hmm. a company doing internet content. So I was kind of animating the series I'd created called The Wise Eye Guys. And I was drawing it. I was doing pretty much everything except the actual animation. But I was drawing it old school, like lots of cells, you know, only wow. it was digital. But we, we get to L.A. And, and um, then the Internet boom ended suddenly. Oh, this is in the early days of the internet boom. This is like the during the dot-com boom, essentially, of the 90s exactly. and early 2000s. 
It's yeah. the year 2000. And suddenly we're in LA, the company is gone and we're stranded. We're like, what the fuck do we do? So <laughs> I, I tried for a while to raise money with the folks who were left in the company, you know, trying to save a sinking ship. And really, I, I looking back, I mean, I wasted time doing that. And then I, I needed this outlet escape kind of thing. And I just, I wrote this script. I just thought, you know, I've got to I've got to do something creative here. So I wrote in, I think it was five and a half days, I wrote Lost Girl and Cadaver, got in touch with a buddy of mine, Miguel Valenti, who's a producer, and said, can we make this? He said, why not? So saw to uh, putting it together. We we got some money from a friend. We raised some money. Uh, and it was all very kind of low key because mostly I cast it with friends, mostly. And if they now, weren't friends, they were friends of friends. Were these people you had worked with in your theater days? Is that how you got yeah. in touch with them? Yeah. Yes. For instance, Brian Howe and Susan McConnell and Bob DeVoe, I had known them from theater days, whereas some other folks, uh, Faye Masterson, I was introduced to Faye through uh, Brian Howe. In fact, Brian Howe, we joked, was kind of the unofficial casting director because he introduced me to Andy Parks and, and Dan Conroy. And, you know, next thing you know, we've got a, it was a really nice cast. It was either people I knew or yeah. people who were friends of friends. So quickly became a family and a kind of unofficial stock company. Yeah. So, it's amazing that you would think, like, especially with Dan and Faye, like in the behind the scenes stuff for Lost Skeleton, you would have thought you guys knew each other for decades because you had such an easy rapport with each other and great chemistry, of course. Yeah, it, it really felt like that. And uh, and we really, I mean, we worked together for years before the next film we did with this ensemble and then this kind of sub sub genre, whatever you want to call it, was Trailer Screaming Forehead. But before that, my friend John Fiore, I knew John from Massachusetts days from doing, you know, everything from extra work to industrials and every uh, any kind of shit jobs that SAG actors did, could get to make their health care. Get the health and, um, So John was a buddy and commissioned me to write uh, a mafia comedy, which was just, I had a ball doing it. I wrote something called... Um, Meet the Mobsters? Uh, no. <laughs> no oh, actually, whoa, whoa, Johnny Slade's Greatest Hits is the original title. Well, this was a few years before that. Oh, I, this is before that. Oh, okay. Wrote, John came to me, let's do a mafia comedy. And John paid me to write a script. I wrote This Thing of Ours, which I still think was... I'm still proud of it. It was a really, it was a really ridiculous, fun piece. And um, it, it didn't go anywhere. But but then John got some money. And that's how Johnny Slade's Greatest Hits came about, also known as Meet the Mobsters. And that was great because it was a totally different thing for me from Lost Skeleton and Cadaver, you know. And I don't know if you've seen it. it it's, I have uh, seen it, yeah. You have, yeah. It was really. Uh, oh, the grease ball in me really appreciated it. <laughs> I could say that. <laughs> it, was, it was such a, uh, you know, it was so different from Lost Skeleton. And that felt good, you know. But uh, but then we got back to, um, we got Trailer Screaming Forehead. And uh, but getting back to Lost Skeleton, how did you get Distro with Sony? It's such a niche film that they a big studio entity picked it up. It's kind yeah, of amazing. You might want to let them know they have it, by the way, if you get a chance. Because <laughs> they have a fucking clue. They do, not, they do not know they have the film. In fact, I don't even get participation papers anymore. Really? Uh, it's so invisible to them. And of course, none of the people who were at Sony when this was picked up are there now. Oh, yeah. God knows how many times it's oh. turned over management. Oh, it's ridiculous. And um, how it happened was, at that time, the Egyptian theater, the American Cinematheque, was doing screenings of independent films. If you sent them an independent film... And they liked it or saw some something of appeal in it, they'd give you a screening. Well, lo and behold, they saw a screener of Lost Skeleton and they said, we'd like to screen it at the Egyptian 
fucking theater, right? So wow. So that was a big deal. And I remember I was working retail across the street from that theater. And and I always like to bring up the image of, and this is true, of me pushing a huge dolly down the street past the poster for my own movie at the Egyptian theater. I mean, That's I wish there was a photograph taken of that, me working, you know, minimum wage <laughs> across the street. Portrait of an independent filmmaker. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. The imagery is perfect. I got it. Yeah. I'm telling you. So that screening was big. We and we promoted it. We had uh, originally tried to convince people it was a lost film. We know that was we knew that was half-assed and wouldn't go too far because the IMDb was a thing and and you really could tell, right. you know, you could tell Brian Howe is, is an actor working currently. He's not back in 1959. So we're half kidding when we we um, tried to pass it off as an, a lost film from that time. But we managed to get a lot of attention. Miguel Valenti, the producer's wife, Lori Trotta was a, a publicist and she was doing a lot of marketing for it and getting getting the word out. Lo and behold, we get around 600 people at the Egyptian wow. Theater. Holy cow. Poland, and we had some good press but something brought Mike Schlesinger in from, from Sony. Mike was in the audience. He loved it. The audience loved it. You know, it was an amazing experience and a little unreal. And Mike uh, Mike said, I got to pick this up. And he did. And that was it. That's amazing. That's like a rare thing to have happen. Like, I mean, distribution on any level is like a miracle in this game. Getting like from like a major is pretty insane. It could not happen now. No. Yeah. It's, it's a very different time now. You've worked with some people who are legends to me, like James Karen, who audiences might know from Poltergeist, but a lot of the audience that would probably listen to this know him as Frank from Return of the Living Dead. I know him from the ShopRite commercials from growing up. That's what I always remembered him for. Was it ShopRite or a and I can't remember, actually. He would always do the can-can sales. When I saw Return of the Living Dead for the first time, I'm like, hey, it's the can-can guy. Yeah. But he's been around since the 60s. He's in a lot of genre pictures going back mid-60s. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's had a career. How is it working with him? Frankenstein meets the space monster. Frankenstein meets the space monster, I was about to say. And these are people I imagine that you grew up appreciating. Oh. Like him and uh, Dick Miller. Uh, dude, you got Dick Miller. Do you understand Dick how Miller. big Dick Miller is for me? I was so fortunate to work with these phenomenal people. H.M. Winant, who... H.M. Uh, Winant, dude. Oh, just a legendary career, and everyone knows him from the Howling Man episode of The Twilight Zone, mm -hmm. of course. Betty Garrett, who was um, Beacon of Light over at MGM and stuff. And, and of course, Andy Parks, her son, is, is a good friend of mine and a big part of our, our stock company. And, and Jimmy Karen and Jimmy would take me out to lunch and to his, his favorite spot. And, and the stories, just phenomenal stories. It's a guy who, who knew Buster Keaton and the Three Stooges. I mean, he, Jesus. you know... It's it's incredible, you know. Tom Reese. Tom Reese was. I was in a supermarket near my house in Burbank, and there's Tom Reese, who I knew, being a a movie buff and stuff. I knew Tom Reese as a villain in so many movies and TV shows, westerns and stuff. And I went up to him. Excuse me, are you Tom Reese? It turns out he lives across the street from me, so I wow. got him in Dark and Stormy Night. One of my favorites, and you got him in a gorilla suit is Bob Burns. That, I mean, that guy is, if you're a genre fan going back, I mean, since the early days, that guy is, he's like a walking encyclopedia of genre knowledge, like piled around with famous monsters of Filmland guy. Uh, yeah, Forey Ackerman, you mean? Forey Ackerman, like, he, yeah. like he's part of that crew and he's- Well, he, uh, yeah, yeah, Bob is just amazing. And what's even better than his, I mean, phenomenal museum of incredible things, like the, you know, the King Kong armature from 1933. Dude, that's and, crazy. It's <laughs> insane stuff. But but besides that, he's one of the funniest people you would ever want to meet. Like crazy funny and so quick witted and a gem of a guy. I would I lived just blocks from them. 
So I would visit Bob and Kathy every almost every Saturday. I was over there hanging out. I mean, it was just it was. So, just so you saw? Oh, you so you saw like a lot of the memorabilia. His like oh, his legendary sure. memorabilia collection. You would hang out in there in that. Oh my God! Room with all that stuff. It was just incredible. And Kathy passed away fairly recently, which uh, which was hard. And but they're just dear, wonderful people. And Bob had come out to the set of Lost Culture Returns again when we were shooting at Sable Ranch, and uh, Bob came out to the set, and that was. A, my first meeting with him. And I don't know how it came up, but you know, he knew we were shooting an old dark house movie. And he said, do you have a gorilla? I said, no, I do now. And that was it. I mean, and that was, you know, Bob's final time in a gorilla suit. And is that uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was able to don that. And as Kathy said, he was like a kid again. He was like a kid again when he put that suit on and having having a gorilla in dark and stormy night was the sort of icing on the cake. It's become my favorite of your films. And that that's like, like as my experience watching it was yeah. and there's a gorilla oh my god this movie just jumped up even more points <laughs> yeah yeah how could we have not you know because i had tried to get every single old dark house element in there to the point of absurdity where you have you know the reading of the will there's a phantom on the loose there's an escape maniac the bridge is out the phones don't work so you pile it on so much that they're all in the you know it's like a big stew of old dark house and and the gorilla would have to be part of it i'm very i'm very proud of that movie i'm really fond of that movie i think my personal favorite might be trail of the screaming forehead but the one i'm most proud of is dark and stormy night so it's very it's hard you know your kids you're trying to like pick your favorite kid you can't really do it yeah. but dark and stormy night is the most convincing i think i think we we did a really good job everybody on that went a thousand percent in the direction of making that look like a 30s movie it was the most incredible set to walk that set is stunning and if you want if you buy the blu-ray there is a color version which i think you should watch i mean it's not the way you should initially watch the film but it's a way you should watch the film just to like get a more sense of the detail that went into that amazing set design in that film yeah so i'm often asked do i prefer the black and white or the color and it was intended as black and white because that's really the most convincing old dark house movie black and white we wanted it to look like a 1939 movie but i like watching the color too because you the the costume work and the set design and, and just the art direction really shines it's just it, it's pretty it's pretty to look at what i enjoy the most about your films because making like sport of the tropes of 50s b films or old dark house films it's some people have done that before it's the observation to the cadence of those films you get the cadence right and that's the thing that most people neglect they don't understand like the way these films flow especially like the first lost skeleton film you get like the way those films what am i even trying to say no, uh, you know i know what you're saying and i appreciate it because it was important that what we would what we might call the uncomfortable beat yes is in there but not too much it's it's a fine line you don't want to overdo it and like i am a bad actor i mean you just you don't want to push it we have really good they're really good actors of course this is a good ensemble and what they're doing is achieving that fragile tone of awkwardness which is also in the dialogue of course Right. The dialogue, which is a redundancy soup. I mean, it's often there's so much repetition and, and so much sort of circular dialogue, which, you know, I was certainly inspired by uh, by Ed Wood in that respect. And, future uh, events such as these will affect you in the future. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's a certain it's a certain style. Whereas in Dark and Stormy Night, like you take Jen and, and Danny Roebuck, Jennifer Blair and Danny Roebuck worked so hard as the reporters to get their that Howard Hawks 
oh, rapid yeah. delivery. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean. And it's such a stylistically different thing. And that's what I was really amazed by. It's like, wow, he's he's doing a completely different genre now and yeah. a completely different period. But he's nailing those beats like with just the same efficacy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just yeah. I don't have a question. I just want to say how much I love the movie. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I appreciate that. It really has been fun to to get to emulate different styles. And 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 if you look at Screaming Forehead, that's its own animal because it's now it's it's widescreen and it's in you know candy color. Jerry Lewis is the Nutty Professor color. You know, um, a movie and Lost that. Skeleton is more of a riff. Uh, excuse me, Lost Skeleton Returns again is more of a riff on uh, adventure pictures of that era. It's not like that Poverty Row Ed Wood films that you're emulating that was another surprise it's like oh wait this is different but it's st it still feels like the same house style but it's conforming to what that specific genre yeah no one should do a sequel real I, I just don't if you're going to do a sequel do something new in it do something different i didn't want to do the same type of joke it's almost like those people who made that first movie had a little more money so <laughs> a little more money and they know a little bit more what they're doing now. And it's even reflected in the score. You know, I had I had the uh, Valentino library music in the first movie, which was very familiar from a lot of old TV shows. I just watched something the other day. I was watching an Andy Milligan film, Torture Dungeon, and ah. the movie began. It's I'm like. Wait a minute. That's Lost Skeleton. Like I know that piece of music. Like <laughs> it's something you hear. It's like the muted bugle in the crying of Lot Forty Nine. Like once you hear the music in Lost Skeleton, you'll hear it everywhere. Yeah, and then so that was so that was the style in the first one. In Lost Skeleton Returns again, I used music written by John Morgan and, and Bill Stromberg in a sort of Bernard Herrmann esque vein. When I discovered that music and that I could, basically something I could license, I was in heaven because piecing that, scoring the movie with those incredible cuts of music that they had already written was just magic. It was just, uh, I was in heaven because I'm a film score nut. I love movie scores. Yes. I, so, if anybody who's been on your social media knows that very well. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and Bill and John are great guys. It was so, so good to have their, their music in there. And of course, then it would dark and stormy night, though. We had original score by Christopher Caliendo. Uh, Fantastic. He, did, he even did a little piano toccata fragment for Andy Parks to play at the, you know, as we come through the oh. window from the stormy night into the drawing room and he's playing this uh, dramatic piece of music that really, really worked nicely. And Christopher did a great job. I'm, I'm happy that the scores have been as individual as the films. So there are movies that play into your tastes. Like Lost Skeleton and all your films are definitely films that play into your tastes. And then there are films that create those tastes. What are some of the films for you that like created that created your love of specifically of genre pictures? Like what were the films that got you first? Now, do you mean as regards Lost Skeleton and Cadaver specifically? Or just uh, you know what? Anywhere you want to go with Anywhere. it. Anywhere. Uh that's 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 hard. You know, I uh um... Okay, then Lost Skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, that makes it easier. Well, you know, I, I I love to to mention some of my favorites. I mean, the recommendations I have, brain, you know. The fiend, fiend without a face with the stop motion oh, animated love that. brains is 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 a masterpiece. Attack of the Crab Monsters is a different kind of masterpiece. It's you know absolutely surreal. Um, I recently revisited revisited Beast from Haunted Cave, you know, which still has some disturbing moments. It's like what the it hell? Does, really strange. I basically, love I, I love all the black and white movies from sci fi horror period. I mean, I'll watch the slowest 
the cheapest ones and and enjoy them find something to enjoy out of them you know that's that's the thing about your films they're not like i've read like the odd negative review of lost skeleton and it's like oh they're making fun of it it's like this is clearly made by a fan you don't get that attention to detail by by not liking these kind of films like this guy gets it like when you watch your films like oh this guy's a psycho fan of these kind of films i'm glad that comes across because other people have mentioned that too and it's important to me that people know that because i don't want to i i'm not making fun of films and I'm not making fun of filmmakers. I am celebrating them in a way, I guess, and enjoying the sort of uh, resultant absurdity that happens. You know, I'm all about the absurd. In each of these movies, there is a sense of absurdity. That's important to me. That's a thing that I I would love to see you one day is just tackle a re- like and you've done it here and there in your short stories in the uh, Tales of Calamo Mountains uh and did uh a few of those uh, came from the bar, the YouTube series you had. What was it called? Uh, oh, Tales from the Pub. Tales from the Pub, where you really tackle like real surrealist stuff. And it's really off-putting and disturbing. And you capture that stuff really well. I'd love to see you just go full out with that one day. Yeah, I... Um, That's a tough thing to market, though. <laughs> it, it is. You know, I love films that dare to go to places like that that are really just it, we're at a point right now where not a single pixel in a movie surprises me that, that and that's not 100 percent, but for the most part I, I i thought of writing a it'd be fun to write a book called every dead pixel because that's what that's what it feels like it just i was talking with someone on on facebook just recently i, I posted a picture of uh, the miniature house from dark and stormy night and and tim lucas was talking about how appealing there's something appealing about miniatures. And it really, I, I'm pulled into a miniature set more than I'm pulled into a world of pixels. Now, do you think that's because, and I'm the same way, is that like some kind of Pavlovian response we have just because we were raised on it? Or I honestly try to objectively think about it. And I say, no, I don't think it is that because I don't know if there's something distancing about the computer stuff. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not. I don't go into films from an intellectual standpoint. I, I'm I'm very visceral. It's all about the experience. I want to get pulled in. I don't go, oh, that's CG. I'm not going to get pulled in deliberately because I object to you. No, I <laughs> I just find myself. I'm not buying it. I'm not. Con- it's not convincing me. And yet, with a miniature, my mind accepts its its tiny solidity, and I just I go. Yeah, I buy that. I'm I'm buying that, you know? And I, it's a very strange thing. I don't fully understand it. Yeah, I don't know why either. I, I that, That's not always the case. Like, there's everything has its place. I do think we over-rely on it too much. I don't think it's... It's like with video games. It's like, yeah, this game, 4K graphics and stuff, but it's like, I could still sit down and play Super Mario Brothers and still be immersed in that. It's it's like I could still find engage. It's not just it's not just the graphics that brings immersion. Uh, getting back to your the surreal, uh, getting back to surrealism. I think the problem is is that we're all everything's so rational, and that's why I, I love things that tap into a rational thought. I love that your stuff reflects that a lot. Like you tap into like wow, that's just not rational, and that's why like when I we're revisiting Twilight Zone on, on our other show, and those are my favorite episodes. Those things that deal with the irrational. I hate explanations. I hate backstories. The backstory is a corporate creation. They didn't used to go, you know, but what's their backstory? What's the backstory? 
did you need to know how Han Solo got his name? <laughs> like, that's like shocking to me, that scene in that movie, a Rogue One or a Han Solo movie that came out a few years back. It was just like, oh, you're Han and you're traveling by yourself. Han Solo. I'm like, like who asked for this? Like, oh, oh you know, now, oh, that cleared it up. Thank God. I was driving crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. It's it, And it, it doesn't give the audience credit, of course. It's doing all the thinking for us. And it's not legal. I like movies that make us think. And it sounds kind of. I know that sounds pretentious. <laughs> like, you know, that I just want to see a bunch of naval naval gazing crap. But but I like, you know, there was a movie a few years ago, Vivarium, which had an appealing, really appealing strangeness to me. I don't know if you're familiar with Benson and, and Moorhead. These guys are making some really appealing, interesting films, and they're going places where no one else is going. They they uh they have the endless Spring is another one. The last one they made was Synchronic. And then they've got one coming out, or it's out now, called uh, Something in the Dirt. And I have not seen that one. But these are guys. Now I'm like, what are they going to do next? I want to see everything they do. I want to see what they do next. And they're kind of on the fringe, you know. They're kind of working independently, I guess. Yet there's all kinds of, you know, food for thought in these movies. I, I, I love it. I go to the Alamo Draft House a lot, but I'll never go see anything that's first run or new. I'll only go see not just movies I've seen before, but like like because they do a lot of like older fare. And I just love seeing like something I haven't seen because honestly, when you watch an older film, it's that it's like that saying it's all if it's old, it's new again, because when you're watching stuff now, everything, yes, does feel very spoon fed to you. Everything, everything has a very similar pattern to it. Pat turn. I just quoted uh What's his name? Oh, Christ. From uh, the giant claw. Uh, what's his name? That actor. Morrow. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Morrow. Morrow. Jeff, Jeff Morrow. Morrow. Yeah. I always every time I say pattern, I have to say <laughs> pattern, like he says in the giant claw. We just talked about that on our other show because he Jeff Morrow just showed up in an episode of Twilight Zone. I said, oh, boy, now I get to talk about the giant claw and Kronos. <laughs> I, did, I did a Jeff Morrow voice for uh, Blu-ray Extra. Oh, really? Do you do a good do you yeah, do a do, good I'm the, I'm the, like I'm the go to imitator now. Like, <laughs> is that your thing now? Yeah, I gotten into this thing where I'm especially on Tom Weaver's commentaries where there's an actor who he's got like quotes from an actor, but he doesn't want to read it. He wants to hear the actor say it, but the actor's no longer with us. And so I'm I'm given that task. I've done Karloff, Lugosi. Anyway, th I, this was kind of a sidebar here, but we're, we're on the Jeff Morrow off ramp right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I hijacked the conversation to go to Jeff Morrow. And now a word from our sponsors. I swear, this city gets crazier and crazier every day. Hey, mister. Oh, jeez, we got a live one. Hey, buddy, the English nobleman in my teeth told me something. Hey, if you go to wnuf.bigcartel.com, you get the out there Halloween mega tape and other products. I bet you didn't know that. Did you know that the dust balls in my living room, they're there on purpose. Did you know that? Um, do you, you want like a dollar or something? Did you just throw a cat at me? <laughs> oh my god, are you okay? I saw everything. Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you one thing, though. I'm not gonna rest until I find out more about how to purchase the out there Halloween mega tape and other products from wnuf.bigcartel.com. I can tell you that much. Yes, I too would like to learn more about how to purchase the out there Halloween mega tape and other products from wnuf.bigcartel.com. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at Far West Press and Maverick indie filmmaker Kansas Bowling. We go way back with Miss Bowling, don't we, guys? Yes, sir, as the time of this recording, about one week. 
First up, for those who hate writing letters, there's pre-written letters for your convenience, pre-written by Kansas, alongside her sister and frequent co-conspirator Parker Love Bowling. A series of increasingly specific and absurd letters that are meant to be cut out and sent to the people in your life. If you're like me, and I know I am, this book will tickle your funny bone and caress your aching knees. Next up is the companion book to Miss Bowling's upcoming film, Cuddly Toys, the aptly named A Cuddly Toys Companion. All kidding aside, I was shown a screen of this film, and it is nothing short of a masterpiece. Oh, don't worry, folks. You're going to hear a... You're going to hear a lot more about this film from me in the coming months. I was genuinely floored by it. This book follows the harrowing and often hilarious adventures Kansas and crew went on in making this soon-to-be classic. If you love film, filmmaking, and crazy behind-the-scenes stories, this book delivers all that in spades. And fret not, you needn't be familiar with Mrs. Bowling's Ovier. How do you say Ovier? Am I saying Ovier right? Ovier? Yeah. You don't need to be familiar with Miss Bowling's Ovier <laughs> to enjoy this pair of books. You must simply be of unusually high intelligence and distractingly attractive, which is how I see our audience in my mind's eye. But now is your chance to prove it with action by heading on over to farwestpress.com and picking up pre-written <laughs> rubber baby buggy bumpers and picking up pre-written letters for your convenience and a cuddly toys companion. While you're out, check out kansas-bowling.com to see what goings on she's up to lately. You'll be supporting our shows by supporting our new sponsors, Kansas Bowling and farwestpress.com. Thank you for listening, folks. I love you. I think I got it. My favorite question to ask any movie is, where the hell is this going? Because I never feel that way anymore with current films. When I watch an older film or watch anything off the beaten path, I find myself asking that question, even with like like badly made exploitation films, because they don't they don't have the formula beaten into their heads or they just don't know any better. Yeah. They don't follow it. And it's it's so much it's refreshing to watch something that you don't know where this is headed. You don't even know what they're trying to say yet. Right. Or even if they don't even tell you what they're trying to say, it's your job to figure it out. Like, that is fun. I, I'm pretentious. Fuck it. I am pretentious. I like that. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that is, <laughs> look, look, a movie is a surprise. A movie is a surprise. It should be. You walk in there, you sit down, the lights go out, you're in the dark. Surprise. You're surprised. Would a movie like Don't Look Now even get made these days? I mean, why? Well, I remember when I first saw Don't Look Now. I mean, I didn't know where that was going. I had no idea, and it was just, it's just incredible. And we just, we don't have enough of that, bitch, bitch, bitch. Every show I'm on goes this route, and I'm tired of talking about it. But will you please do something different, please, Hollywood? <laughs> You've worn a lot of hats throughout your career, and I, this actually, you know what? I can't ask this question. I always ask this for people like you who are multi hyphenates. I don't think I'll get a satisfactory answer here. That like, what's your favorite hat? And I think for someone like you, it's whatever hat you're wearing at the moment in terms of like what you'd like doing in terms of acting writing directing that is the answer Whatever. yeah I, that's why so i wasted everybody's time right now i've been drawing i've been whipping out these um these cartoons i'm about to come up with a new book of cartoons cartoons sounds weird i don't know what else to call them but it's they are i guess you know, cartoons i always think animated but it's a book of cartoons so what can i say Anyway, I'm coming out with another book. And right now I'm just like in that mode. I'm enjoying doing that. But I got to do other things. So I got to sort of break that spell. <laughs> and and I've got an article I want to finish. So I want to finish writing that article. And then there's I want to take a look at a screenplay of mine and polish it off. And so it's hard sometimes to break out of a certain thing and get into that different, to put on a different hat. I tend to, yeah, I wear a lot of hats. I like painting. I went on a painting binge a couple of months ago. I did 
did like 25 paintings in in two months or something like that yeah um, it's weird I, if you follow again if you follow his social media you'll just see what's he into this month and it's just like i just made 25 paintings okay now here's a book of sketches oh here's a new novel it's just like slow down <laughs> <laughs> watch yeah, tv <laughs> yeah, I just I just did a uh, I just wrote a short story. I can't say anything about it right now because it was someone invited me into an anthology, which was really neat. And it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say anything about it. But that's another thing, you know, writing a short story that once you're in that mode, it's like, you know, nothing else matters. Right. The acting, the directing, the drawing. It's crazy. So you've been a fan of steampunk art for a long time, and it's become kind of popular. It's become like a, a mainstream thing now. And you wrote a book. Uh, Steam Wars. Steam Wars is, uh, you know, that's kind of my baby. That's my uh, my long term project. Uh, long term or long time? Is it a long time project or a long term project? This I is important. We have, we have to, to stop. Well, hold on. Let's figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's something that I've been nurturing for quite a while. Steam Wars graphic novel is uh, is coming out. It's, it was delayed last year, but it is definitely out this year in paperback and hardcover, which to me is, you know, we did a digital release, but it really, I just like, I like the physical media. What can I say? You know, yeah. media, man. The, it, the conversation it. always comes to this on the show too, <laughs> where, yeah, I need to hold it in my hand. Sorry. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Sorry, TikTok generation. I need to hold something. Steam Wars is 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 steampunk. It's a it's a flavor of steampunk. It doesn't quite have the you know. It, it, there's a fanciful aspect to steampunk that Steam Wars doesn't have. It has Steam Wars is a little more hard boiled, gritty kind of thing, and it has to do with basically following the crew of a large steam giant. Which is at a time, it's it's an alternate 1897 where warfare is fought using these giant, what what are called steam rigs. There are smaller ones, there are large ones, you know, there's there's different classifications and stuff. It's basically an action adventure. Sorry, steampunk does seem like a generalization. This is like historical science fiction, if like I think would be a better term. Yeah, it, if you've ever seen the old Wild Wild West TV series with Robert Conrad, it's a phenomenal, wonderful action action series yeah i guess you would call that science fiction like it was like a science like a historical oh, yeah. science fiction show yeah yeah and it's 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 essentially victorian era sci-fi and you look at of course jules verne steampunk has been around if you if you classify that as steampunk, i think you have to i think you have yeah. to yeah yeah you know and it's um it, it is a rather loose definition and so my particular corner of it it's a more kind of rugged adventure, but I like the contrast of fanciful steam engines and, and Victorian styling really is um, visually appealing to me to design steam rigs, these fighting machines in the form of giant warriors, how the crew would operate it. You know, I'm, I get very detailed about the operation uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I see it as a very visceral kind of thing. A few years ago, started calling it blue-collar sci-fi. You know, whereas a lot of steampunk looks very pretty. This has got grease and oil on Right. There's dirt. Because, you know, this is in the 1800s. Yeah. So people were dirty then. <laughs> <laughs> Another good example of blue collar sci-fi. It's it feels like uh, the first alien is a good example of blue collar oh, sci-fi, yeah. where it's more grounded in the day to day goings on of like a working crew. You know, it, 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 it that's interesting that you bring that up because I was thinking about that recently. 
whereas they are uh, they are definitely like a factory in space i mean you have that you have that repartee between them it really is like a working environment but in it the terror from beyond space which is often credited with inspiring a lot of aspects of alien i, I believe there were lawsuits about it <laughs> yeah you know it's it's uh one of my favorite scenes in It the Terror from Beyond Space is when the crew is hanging out, having a coffee, food, whatever, just sort of like in the downtime. And in that downtime, there's kind of small talk and stuff. And that small talk is similar to in Alien. It sets us up for something bad because they're so relaxed and this is like a cozy environment and they're getting, you know, one, one of them's giving the other shit and and it just feels very right it's so unassuming like everything that precedes the famous chest burster it feels like almost like a documentary of, of a workplace break it really is effective because it it leaves us with our guard down that's the best way to strike right there even though horror is on the resurgence lately the, all the most interesting films i saw this year were in the horror genre but like a lot of like big horror stuff is like where they telegraph where it's just loud noise it's just like oh okay i mean I guess that yes, that is effective. You did startle me there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's yeah, they, you they know, don't create an atmosphere like when they don't commute. Like, that's what's amazing about that. Even as unassuming as Alien is, it's creating this atmosphere of dread, whether you realize it or not. That's and that's the best. The atmosphere of dread, mounting dread to me is is the best aspect of horror, whether it's um, horror fiction or in movies or tv or whatever whereas it's easy to you know to have someone throw a cat into into the frame that's easy i mean the jumps are the easiest gross outs are the easiest lower the volume then raise the volume i mean that's that's easy yeah (laughs) yes exactly now you took a back seat from playing the lead because i've done this and you're (laughs) i mean i've done this as you know when you play a lead and direct yeah. Well, that's not good. It's not smart, is it? No. <laughs> it's horrible, Why man. didn't you learn from my mistake? What's I wrong? Because sh- I'm cheap. That's why. I said, this will save me a few thousand dollars. My cheapness overrode any good sense I might have had. Yeah. It's, you know, I was I was convenient. That's all it was. I was casting Lost Skeleton, and, and I was convenient. I think, you know, maybe it's just better if I play the scientist. And um, you start, you know, especially when you're doing low budget stuff, you start thinking, it's like, well, that's less transpo money. That's less per diem. That's like, you know, less like this. And it's just like, it's just, you think about it, but there is a hidden cost. <laughs> There's a hidden cost. Oh, and, and plus the, of course it, it helps with SAG too, you know, cause then I'm getting some money there, but, but it really does. I mean, you're, you're referring to dark and stormy night. How you, you talk I, about like as Paul Vestenhouse, where it's just, what, dude, and you came in. It's like, that's like, that's what I'd like to do. You just come in like an assassin, throw that funny jab in. And <laughs> that's your cake and eating it too. And you're like getting to do both. Like, that's like, I just come in, say something really funny, and then go on my business, go right back behind the camera. That's all yeah, I Ray, wanted to do. Ray Vestenhouse was was deliberate, without a doubt. It was to give me a break. Trail of Screaming Forehead wasn't too bad, because Nick Vasodyne... Oh, yeah, Nick's um, a pretty short, small... He was kind of... There were a lot of scenes that he was not in, so that that wasn't too bad. But Ray was even better, because Ray... Ray really was coming in on the fringe now and then. You'll you can appreciate this. There's nothing that feels better than arriving on set and realizing that you're not. Oh, I'm not going to make up in more. Oh, oh, yeah, I mean, because it's, it's like I can just. This is. Oh, you mean I can just be behind the camera the whole day watching the monitor? So, so that is. Uh, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. There's. There's. Uh, I don't know how you did. It. Of course, I don't know how you did. Welcome to the future. Anyway, because you shot it. 
like on the slide you shot it it's, <laughs> it's crazy that you did it by the way i think i've seen it four times oh thank you so much you've got some catching up to do because i've seen lost skeleton at least 30 so oh hurry up uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's such an amazing break to like it, it was like honestly it was the most it was the only time i enjoyed myself the entire process of making that movie was when i was like i'm not in this scene that's so and it was rare because I, I I'm in like most scenes. There's like three scenes I'm not in. And the funniest thing, one of the scenes I'm not in is the scene with the photographer, because that's the role I originally wrote for myself. Because oh. That's what I wrote for myself, because this will be funny. I get to be creepy, funny, and then I'm gone. Yeah. And it just came. It just we got closer and closer. And I just really couldn't find anybody. And I just I just like same thing. I'm easy. I know I could get my I know I'll get there on time. And then, yeah, it's just, and then your sanity takes a toll then because <laughs> it's just, it's just oh, yeah. directing is hard and acting is hard and could okay. both d demand a lot of concentration. And, well, and have, it's, I don't know how you did it. Cause I, I mean, you just, you have my respect on that. It, it, it just, you I, have I, mine on I, that. I, I don't know how you did it in the middle of this con. I mean, it's, it's insane. And in, in that, in that confusion, how did you even think? How did you even I couldn't. Yeah, I, I don't. It's somehow I managed, and I was in poor health too, as I found out later on at the oh. time. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, gotta check my gotta check my blood sugar after this. As soon as just just so you know, uh, and uh, it's fine. Actually, I'm in the best shape of my life now. Yoga. So yeah, you look good, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this all gets cut, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it, you can't think. I mean, like you know, even in Europe, your how many days was Lost Skeleton in terms of production? I think it was ten and a half. I believe that's a, that's a that's tight. That's tight. Man. tight. Yeah, it's pretty tight. I mean, in our favor was um, locations were fairly uh, condensed. Mm. Uh, when you got a company move, that eats yeah. up time. Company moves are killer. You know, so I hate company moves. Like on, I've on any end of it, it sucks from like yeah. below the line to above the line because it just eats time. It's just it just eats the day. It really does. Yeah. The second I mean, it, location. It's just like, what can we get? Yeah. You're not, you don't have that freedom to like, okay, let's, when you're, when you're dug into a place, you don't have that. Like, it's like, okay, we're dug in for the next couple of days. You don't have that freedom to like explore. It's just like, okay, it took this amount of time and everybody's tired from lunch. <laughs> so let's just get what we can get and call it a fucking day. I remember though, on um, Lost Skeleton Returns again, we were at, uh, we had, several locations we had the bar van nuys that was in van nuys and then we had the then we had sable ranch and then we had uh, the jungle set which was um, the arboretum and we were at Sa when we were at sable ranch which which we milked really milked and this was before the big fire there we it was there was a lot of different stuff we could do there and i remember uh, my my dp aj uh, brilliant guy and he and i would go running up hills and stuff looking for our next shot. So you're always kind of scouting. But one thing is, you know, storyboards have been a savior for me. Right from the from from the very first my very first movie, the storyboard has been like such a handy tool. I just I think that is You do so you did the storyboards, right? Yes. Yeah. You have I this have gift. Storyboard. You might as well use it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'm lucky in that way. I'm fortunate because I, I can I can I don't have to have an uh, describe it to another person. I can just put out what I'm picturing put it on the paper and it's, it's very helpful. But also I always like to steer people to uh, the audio adventures of big Dan Freighter, which you know quite well about that because you were in one. <laughs> which was so much fun. That was a, that was a high watermark for me. It was just like, it's like you, we were, we were going back and forth to text. I'm like, he's, I'm getting directed by Larry Blamar. This is crazy. <laughs> that was you like, were hilarious. You were hilarious. Thank I you so much. You did a great job. You did a great job. And, yeah, it was 
And I was just like, do I do, do I go greasy? He's like, go greasy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, as you heard, that, I go as greasy as I can. <laughs> that is available on iTunes and they're available on iTunes and Amazon. So um, I always like to, uh, I like to plug them. Yes. Um, the big uh, damn freighter, which is a spinoff. Well, first of all, okay, let me tell, let me steer the audience the right way. First, you got to get Trail of the Screaming Forehead. And then you got to get uh, the audio book adventures of Big Dan Freighter because that serves as essentially a spinoff of the former. I mean, you don't need to see it, but you should. And I should mention that my director's cut is on the Blu-ray. So uh, if you Google Trail of the Screaming Forehead Blu-ray, you will uh, be taken to Hydraulic Entertainment and you can get that. There are two albums of Big Dan Freighter's adventures. And it's kind of like, I mean, it's sort of like old radio kind of thing mixed with Rocky and Bullwinkle or something. I mean, it's just it's really very funny, so silly and stupid. And we have so much fun. That's on my, and uh, this sounds like a bad thing, but it's not. It's a very, uh, it's a very honored spot. It's in my sleep playlist, which is where I have to sleep. I have a weird way I sleep. We have to have the TV on. This is very specific. I have to have the TV on. Carol Burnett has to be on and the volume has to be at 10. And then I have, <laughs> I have these, uh, uh, Bluetooth headphones, which I call bedphones, which are essentially uh, uh, they wrap around your head and it's like a very non like uh, it's just the headphones essentially for sleep. And yeah. I, I have th I have to have Carol Burnett playing and I have to be listening to a very specifically curated things like a 2000 year old man album. Uh, and the audiobook of Big Dan Freighter, and for some reason, an Andrew Dice Clay album, but that's only when I'm already asleep. It's very specific, but that's wow. in that, that because uh, this is like, this will help me relax. And it's one of those things that I just enjoy listening to. Wow. I, except, I except my episode, because I can't hear myself. I get, I get, it gets me cranky. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, Larry, just want to thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, always looking forward to anything you're doing. It would be a book. As uh, Larry said before, you got to go on Lulu if you want all his plays and his novels. And of course, there's the, the Lost Skeleton spinoff novel, Doc Armstrong, which is fantastic. One of my favorite things. My favorite thing I read that year. Uh, the cartoons. I mean, he's just he's got a lot of stuff. Dude. The guy's got a lot, and it, it and he's got and if and it's all in different genres. So if you if you hey, I want horror western, he got you covered. The guy, so go check out that was on Lulu. Then go to hydraulic entertainmentcom uh, Link in the description, as I said earlier, for all the other stuff. And if you want the first Lost Skeleton, it's available on Apple TV. Uh, it's 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 available for streaming on a few places. There's no physical release right now in print, but. Hey, you kids like streaming. Go stream that and then go for the rest physically. So that's the right thing to do. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me. This is really fun. Man.